0: Heads up, there's cussing in this podcast.
1: Okay. Here we go.
0: Hello and welcome to the Pub Hound podcast. I'm Drew and with me is Rich. Cheers. Cheers to you, and happy St. Patrick's Day.
2: Yeah, happy St. Patty's.
0: We're getting a little Irish up in here tonight, but not too Irish. I'm drinking pale ale right now. So. I do
2: have some Guinness, and Jules has been drinking a lot of whiskey. And we haven't even introduced our guests yet. I'm <laughs> getting ahead of myself.
0: <laughs> tonight we have Jules Cubiana. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Right no you. you. <laughs> a lot of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be talking with Jules about... Uh, her upcoming book, Jeanette and Lovers. That that at least is the title that we're working with right now. The book is not not released yet and won't be for a few months. A few
2: months. But you know how we roll. Yeah. Especially when we have a, a working title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we roll sometimes... And slowly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> most of the time we just sit still. <laughs> Sometimes we have to roll back. Sometimes we have to drag ourselves out of the gutter after rolling into the gutter.
0: That's that's most days. Uh, so anyway, we have uh, we have some things to talk about tonight. Um, our, we, this is going to be a little unique for us in that we don't have a guest bartender. But, you know, our, our guest bartenders have never actually poured our drinks anyway. Dave
2: did. Dave <laughs> was a great guest bartender.
0: He didn't pour my drink
2: because I drank beer all the evening, but he poured you and Cody quite a bit of whiskey.
0: That's true. That's true. Dave, come back. We listen, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so anyway, uh, our but our sponsor for tonight is National Poetry Month events, which will be put on in part by PubHound Press and other organizations, and we'll talk about that more a little bit later. Woohoo! Yeah.
2: National Poetry Month.
0: It's your favorite time of year.
2: It is. One time of year, I dislike poetry. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes, not true. I dislike spending time with other human beings, not named Drew and Jules. <laughs> 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 well, I, I dislike being around in crowds, and National Poetry Month forces me to go out and, and do those things. So if you see me, I will freeze up, and I will also be drunk,
0: just saying. <laughs> it's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like... I. A class on a subject that you really like. Yeah. Um, but you still have to go to class. Yeah, and it's terrible. Because yeah. you'd
2: rather be at the pub.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so speaking of the the pub and I you're you're on the Guinness now. Wait, are you I,
2: I, I how I many have, things are you <laughs> drinking? Uh I, I do have I have some Guinness. I also went ahead and poured myself a bit of the pail at all, Um I was thinking ahead man. I just uh, okay I I, uh, I have no defense for myself I am double fisting right now <laughs> it, uh, it happens
0: yeah that's cool yeah that's cool I, I'm actually out right now too bad well, Dave's see, not here
2: yeah well you can port yourself some
0: and I'm gonna do that as soon as you start talking about I'm gonna let you talk about something uh, be that uh, what you're writing or what you're reading one of those things
2: Okay, um, sure. I actually just last night finished reading, I just finished reading uh, Pot Scrubber Lullabies.
0: Is it Lullabies?
2: Yeah, Pot Scrubber Lullabies um, by Eric McHenry. It was uh, his first collection of verse. He's, uh, for those who do not know, he is the poet laureate of Kansas. That's right. Kansas has a poet laureate. Wow, and he's really fucking good. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it. He has uh, two books, uh, both of which were published by Wayri- Way Wiser Press. Um, those of the Anthony Hesch award fame. Um, he has uh, Pot Scrubber Lullabies, and uh, his more recent one, it was the last couple years or so, is called Odd Evening. Both of them are excellent collections. It's a lot of fun. He's a very funny poet. Um, and he writes a meter and rhyme, so I likes him.
0: Tell me... I, you said McHenry?
2: Yeah, Eric McHenry.
0: I, I feel like I've heard of him before, but I know I haven't read anything. So I'm going to check them out.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: Cool. And uh, you have some good news about... Uh, do you want to share that, or do you want to save that?
2: Um, I, yeah, I can share it. Uh, I finally broke through the the publication wall, I guess. I mean, it's not a huge deal. It's one poem on, you know, one, one poetry website, but it's still nice to get that validation. And I mean, I've been writing for what, like 15 years or so. Um, And i have been submitting for almost as long, maybe about a decade or so. And just have not had any luck. And granted, a lot of that's my fault. I don't know if we talked about this last time. I know Howie and I talked about it, but I don't remember if we were recording how, you know, you, If you submit work, you need to submit constantly. And I tend to do it sporadically, and so that's part of the issue. But um, it's also, it's just, it's tough to get your work out there. And I finally, uh, I got through. So I have a poem that will appear sometime in April or May on Asses of Parnassus, which is um, a Tumblr site that is dedicated to the publication of epigrams, which are great. I love epigrams. Um, It's a great site. I'm really excited. It's, it's an honor to be published there alongside uh, a lot of poets whose work I admire and respect, like uh, Rick Mullen and uh, Teresa Coe, like a lot of really great, witty poets. So yeah, the awesome. editor is really great, too. I respect his opinion, and I like his work as well. Uh, the editor is Britt Clark. His work has appeared in Light magazine, as well as Able Muse. Um, and He's also a very witty, excellent poet. So yeah, it's it's, it's an honor, money. and it's also it's it's, it's a, a relief to finally get back. that monkey yeah. off my back after like Absolutely. fifteen years. Yeah, uh,
0: congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, at some point tonight, I need to give you a high five for that because I haven't done it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I <definitely>. not <laughs> I gave you the virtual high five. Yeah, you did. You did. Them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, well. What have you been up to, Drew? Well, as you know, for my, I'm, a, I'm a huge Billy Collins fan. I've been revisiting some Billy Collins mm-hmm. lately, which I can't help myself, really. It's like a bad habit. It's your thing, man. <laughs> Everybody has their thing. You apparently
2: are not a big fan of Richard Wilbur, which just astounds me. Uh, so. I
0: mean, you know, it's I, know, I recognize the quality there, but it just doesn't really... It's not your thing. just doesn't, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. what it is. But I've also still... I mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago I've been listening to um, Middlemarch. You on audio, yeah, man it's so good it is it, it is. is it's it's, re- it's extremely long so yeah and still yeah, i'm still or at least on audio i just take you i've never time. actually seen the book but, the, but yeah, yeah the that's like, the thing i was about to show drew
2: <laughs> the size of the book so you know forgive me listeners you cannot see with your ears it's about that thick so it's big. yeah it's a big book but I've, it's it's marvelous I mean, it took me, like, a year, year and a half to read. I would read for a while, set it down, then come back to it, like, a couple weeks later. And... That's kind
0: of the way that I treated Brothers Karamazov, which yeah. is, is probably similar in length. But um, this one, I'm doing it on my commute, so, you know, I can only get through about one chapter
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, per drive. But I only want to do about one chapter at a time because it's so much to absorb. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's so many, like, you know, just beautiful phrases in there that I really want to appreciate them without having to feel like I'm rushing through the plot. And that's the other, like the plot is not super absorbing to me. I mean, it's it's interesting, but I, I did, you know, Silas Marner, mm-hmm. George Eliot as well. A few years ago, and that plot was much more interesting, I, I thought. Yeah. But the the prose is just so good that. Yeah, and Middlemarch moves a little bit more
2: slowly in terms of its of its plot. Like, I'm expecting it to pick it, up pretty it, soon. She leads all these different. I'm feeling I'm feeling the buildup at this yeah. point. So, Jules is a, a large a huge George Eliot fan as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love George Eliot. I haven't read anything of hers for a long time, but. I think I've written everything that I've written. I've read everything. <laughs> I've I've written it all. Oh, so God.
2: we found here. George is alive and she's in the room with us.
1: <laughs>
2: nice. <laughs> A
1: lot of whiskey. <laughs> well,
0: we'll we'll have to we'll have to come back to that later cuz I imagine we'll, uh we'll probably talk about some of your influences and authors yeah. that you enjoyed. So Definitely. Yeah. Okay, well, with that said, I think, uh, I think Jules needs some more whiskey. So, uh, break time. <laughs> <laughs> the PubHound Podcast is brought to you by National Poetry Month in Joplin. National Poetry Month is brought to you by a partnership between Post-Art Library, Missouri Southern State University, Connect to Culture, Downtown Poetry, George A. Spiva Center for the Arts, Compass Quest Veterans Services, Missouri Arts Council, PubHound Press, and Downtown Joplin Alliance. Information on events can be found at connecticulture.com slash Month 2018 Welcome back to the PubHound Hound Podcast. Uh, I think now we are going to start our interview segment. So, Rich, here you go.
2: So, we do have with us Jules Enzer Kubiena. I know we already saw that. Uh, her forthcoming book is Jeanette and Lovers. Jules, how are you today?
3: I'm doing all right.
2: Excellent. Would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, the book that's going to be coming
3: out? Yeah. Um, so, Jeanette, um, the main character is a sort of wayward youth called Shelley. And the book is really about her, and um, we follow her. She's at uh, she's about about to turn eighteen, and she's dropped out of high school, and is living with her drug dealing cousin. (laughs) So not an ideal situation for 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 young people. Young (laughs) young person, yeah, that's
2: not not anything we want to wish upon any child.
3: But she forms an intense attraction towards the title character, Jeanette, who is someone who her cousin uh, also coincidentally has had a past, a romantic past with. And beyond that, the story just follows Shelley as she tries to make herself appealing to... To this
1: woman.
3: Yeah, who really doesn't want to have anything to do with her. And... um, I guess the I don't really think of the story as having very much of a plot beyond that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is just I I try to really evoke the character of of the area of this kind of dilapidated, run down atmosphere that I get from, from. Is it is it set in
2: an area around here? Uh, I yeah, I it's, think it's um definitely has that vibe of sort of a. A Joplin or a Pittsburgh or, yeah. or a city around here, but I didn't know if it was sort of just an amalgamation of all those. Yeah, I think or if so. And it, at
3: one point, I do actually refer to the town as Venita, yeah. but it's not, I didn't really think, because I don't think I've ever actually been to Vanita. I just uh, uh, like uh, the uh, sound uh, of Vanita. So. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It's a lovely
2: Oklahoma, got a couple things right, just a couple. <laughs> Benita, Sorry, <Benita>. Julie Brown. <laughs> <laughs>
3: of, the <laughs> friend of you know, oh I, I Oklahoma. love Oklahoma actually um, but
2: Vanita the name Vanita is one of the one of the things they got
3: right so is it yeah. so it's
0: sort of a noir in yeah, that the setting kind of becomes its own character
3: I, I would like to think so I don't know if I really successfully pulled that off but that was one of my aims in writing this is I wanted to write something that was very evocative of this area and to almost make the area be a character in itself.
0: Yeah, that, I mean that sounds more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I really. Ha- I can't say that I've read too many noir books. Except I, I would say that, that in a, in a in an interesting sort of way, Steinbeck is almost more in, in his uh, in his California based. Oh yeah. Book, like East of Eden, and um, oh, what's the Tortilla Flats? Uh, is, is kind of light in terms of noir, but it really, the setting plays a huge role. I, I, w- I think I would probably qualify, that's sort of the, the number one criterion for noir to me, is that the setting, the setting? It, it would not be the same story if it were told in a different place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, would you agree with that?
2: I've read a lot of noir. I watch a lot of noir films. Yeah, yeah those same, way, be, same way, same <laughs> way. Those tend to be, you know, a lot of like heist flicks and gangster flicks. Yeah, sort of. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, well, I don't know, you, you think of Chinatown. Right, mm-hmm. um, and it is definitely. I mean, it's the reason why the last line is you know don't worry about it. It's Chinatown. You can't change it. Yeah, and it's because Chinatown is its own own character. Um, but that's that's definitely something you get from a lot of those films is where the setting, the surrounding, is as much of its own own being as any of the characters that are living within it. And they there's often themes of not being able to sort of escape fate. You know, one thing that's been... Oh, actually, before we, we move on to some more questions, uh, would you like to tell us about The Lovers?
3: Oh, okay, the yeah, definitely. So that came about because I really became interested in writing a series of very short stories. Um, I think maybe the proper word for it would be vignettes instead mm-hmm. of of story. That were all on the or same, yeah. That that were all on the same topic, but could all be taken by themselves and read separately.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think it was maybe I don't really exactly remember what inspired me to do that. I think it was reading Colette because she has a couple of collections that are similar to that. But and I don't know that I really succeeded in doing that because I think that over, it, there is obviously an overarching story to the cycle. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I am still experimenting with, and I do plan on writing several of these, and maybe even another collection that's called Lovers. Uh, You know, maybe, yeah, maybe with a different (laughs) set of characters, or also just exploring different types of relationships. My initial conception of it was that I would have one that was called Lovers, and then another one about family members, and one that was exploring the topic of friendships. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm working on one that is exploring the topics, uh, a topic of performances. So just all different types of performances and I've written one that is uh, about people going to see a a classical music performance, a symphony. And then I want to have another one where there's people going to a punk show and um, another one where people are just maybe practicing something together at home and just so just because uh, describing music is something that is that really interests me and trying to convey a sense of music through through writing and be, being able to describe it.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, that actually touched on a couple things I wanted to ask you about. Um, since we most recently talked about music, um, music has always played a very large part in your life. Your father's a pianist, you're a pianist as well. Um, in fact, in some cases, music may even play a larger part of your life than literature does. And I was wondering um, if you'd like to talk about or, you know, sort of the the ways in which music has influenced the way that you write, um, you know, be it thematically or structurally as well, if you mm-hmm. ever take some of the structures from your favorite types of music and, and overlay, you know, that into your writing.
3: Yeah, I think that is something that definitely interests me and something that I would like to explore more is how you would try to um, replicate the structure of a musical piece in writing and what exactly that would mean. Um, When you think about music, so much of it is driven by themes, Mm -hmm. I think. You know, you have a melody that you can recognize. And then in classical music, at least, the composer will play with that melody and force you to see it in other ways and... um, and I guess that that does. Well, that, that, that's sort of what
2: you do in Lovers, then. Yeah. What well, you're, you're talking about and doing in these other pieces with these vignettes. And, mm-hmm. I mean, almost a little bit like, you know, uh, Montaigne does with his essays, where he has a subject, but he constantly, you know, almost like a, holding a crystal up to the light and constantly turning it and refracting the light in different mm-hmm. ways.
3: Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, I guess just seeing the same sort of topic in different ways with from a different emotional lens, mm-hmm. I guess or a different perspective it's something that I would definitely like to do.
2: Do you feel, have you tried doing that like in your, your current writing or do you, you just t- feel like you maybe like,
3: well, I think what I'm, what I am working on now with the cycle performances is mm-hmm. I, I am trying to explore that definitely, but it's, it's difficult for me to get away from what I just think is good storytelling yeah. And it does come, there, there is a point where experimentation,
1: it's just- yeah,
3: exactly. You know, you always want to think about what is going to engage the reader or what is really going to get my point across in a way. And it's difficult to really get away from traditional storytelling, I think. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it's definitely something that I need to ex- think about more and think about a way that will be effective because it is something that I think is it is very important to me to try to or at least I think it's it's an interesting thing to try to
1: do
2: yeah definitely I'd be definitely interested in seeing some of these these pieces you've been working on um,
0: absolutely I mean not only as
2: a publisher but also just as an individual and a fellow writer and reader
3: and yeah I don't know participant if maybe...
2: in the literary experience
3: yeah I don't know if maybe poetry lends itself I got
2: all on us. <laughs> <laughs> you went a little buck, a little NPR there.
3: Well, we all love NPR, yeah, um, despite his shortcomings. Uh,
2: sorry. Um, you also mentioned Colette, and I know in uh, personal conversations, you've mentioned to me before that she's been a big influence on your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually... Still never really read her, but it it occurs to me, like, I'm sure I'm probably among the majority and not, having not read her. So would you like, would you like this opportunity to tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, sure. You know, about who she is as an author, what, and, and also how she's affected your own work.
3: Yeah. Um, So Colette is a French writer uh, born in the, either in the late 1800s or early 1900s. I think she was more or less a contemporary of Proust. And I know that Proust expressed admiration for her works, but she uh, tends to write fairly short stories, I don't believe, well, and novellas. I don't think she actually wrote a full length novel, but she uh, definitely explores themes of love and desire and sexuality, which I think are all big themes, at least in in Jeanette and in Lovers.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, And she has a, she'll describe just very ordinary kind of mundane situations, but give them a very. uh, She writes about them in a very illuminating sort of way. So, and she uses very vibrant language. I mean, obviously, I haven't read her in the original, so I wouldn't know that for sure. But in the translations that I've read, she has, uh, she focuses a lot on sensuality. And her writing is very sensual, and she talks a lot about colors and the light. Um, so she's, she's um, definitely one of my favorites, I would say. But I think probably the, my biggest influence in writing is Anton Chekhov. Oh. And he's the one that I most re- really would like to emulate more than anyone because I admire him so much yeah Um, that's
2: that's (laughs) that's a big one that's a high bar
3: yeah yeah and and obviously people know him more and probably for good reason because he's such a master Mm -hmm. um i'm not as familiar with his plays but i his short stories um are just a revelation to me every time i read them and i think what i love about him so much is that he can say so much in such a short amount of space he just needs a couple of pages he doesn't waste motion at all yeah he just completely makes his characters come alive, and he writes about, he writes from so many different points of view, um, you know, from a peasant's point of view, from a rich person's point of view, from a woman's point of view, and one of my favorite stories of his is from a dog's point of view, and, you know, I, I, I just think he pulls that off so well.
2: You've attempted your own
3: yeah, right. And I think it was probably directly inspired by that. that one, yeah. But Colette also, I, she's also written stories from animals' points of views. Um, so, and, I mean, I just think that's kind of an interesting thing to, to try to set yourself to do—to write from a somewhat, from a point of view that's very alien to your own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so check off is it's awesome. Check off.
2: Yeah, as well you should. I mean, I. I try to be mad because he doesn't
0: like Chekhov. And I, it's just a
2: very
3: bad person. Probably. <laughs> <places> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about him, too, is that he's not really at all from a literary background. His father, yeah, I think, a, was a serf, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. Wasn't
3: he? And
2: um, he was a doctor.
3: Yeah. I
2: don't know anything about his mother, really.
3: Yeah.
0: I've always found it like next to impossible to write from a perspective of anyone that was very different from me yeah so so i i mean i find what you're what you're striving to do here very admirable
3: yeah i think it's it is really hard to completely divorce yourself from your own feelings um but you can at least try to put yourself in somebody's shoes Mm -hmm. and i think that's really the one of the great values of literature is that it allows you to see the world from the perspective of somebody else. Well, I, I would definitely say that's
0: the value of reading it, but I, I think, I mean, even more so of writing. Like, mm-hmm. gosh, that's, I mean, that's just, yeah, definitely would be a, and a, a positive exercise for anyone to to try to change perspective to the extent that you're embodying someone else and someone else's experience as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's pretty, probably a pretty healthy thing to do it's
3: a game game
0: perspective
2: yeah definitely cool one thing that has always been sort of interesting to me too um you uh you know you've you've been writing for quite some time as well and a lot of really quality works too you've never really attempted to be published before though Mm -hmm. um you know, until until this, and I mean, part of that was because I came to you and I said, "I want your, I want your book." I don't okay. think I, I really gave you a choice. <laughs> but I, I always sort of wondered, um, you know, a little bit of why that is and what what the literary experience is to you. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, um, to me, it almost seems, I mean, sort of wonderful. You put so much effort into the work that you do as a writer. But you generally don't try to circulate it. And I've always sort of wondered yeah. why, but also, um, and I mean it may be something simple as just like self esteem, but it also seems like it's you know, you're not necessarily writing to be published so much as just again, participate sort of in the literary experience.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think I write Shut because <laughs> <laughs> I think I write because I enjoy it, most of all. I think it, it helps me to have because I have an idea and I want to I actually a lot of my writing comes from all I have a a moment that I feel so intensely I feel like I want to try to unpack it an entire story and both Jeanette and lovers I can draw back to a single um moment that I experienced that was just so vivid that this whole story came out of that and um uh, what was I going to say? I think that writing is also kind of therapeutic for me mm-hmm. for the same reasons. Um, I think also there's this idea that the more you write and describe something, you might be able to get to the truth behind something, which is probably an illusory feeling. But I think there's something that's very important to me. And so it's it doesn't matter if nobody ever reads what I've written, but just the experience of having written something and trying to get to the heart of something I think is what is important to me.
0: I can totally relate to the, the first part of that, like having the experience that was profound in some way mm-hmm. that you just really had to write it down. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely, almost almost every poem I've ever written has come from an experience like that where it, mm-hmm. it just felt like kind of, you know, otherworldly or and transcendent in some way Mm -hmm. and it just needed to be written down whether like you said whether it was going to be read by anyone else or not so i i get that part for sure definitely
2: i want to be (laughs) read um i mean not not really it's not why i do well, I write but it just seemed like the thing to say at the moment uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and in doing so I forgot what the next thing I was going to ask was um so there's that sorry I broke your stride no no I broke my own stride <laughs> it happens about two or three times a minute <laughs> <laughs> lots of whiskey lots, <laughs> in my case it's lots of beer <laughs> oh yeah you've um you've also worked a lot on translator translating as well Uh um things from like uh like you've worked on some translations of of Schiller which Mm -hmm. is really cool yeah um what do you get out of the out of that experience of uh
1: uh, I think it's just. Working
2: with others. Works. I think
3: it's just really interesting to try to uh, um, capture what somebody has said in a different language, to try to carry some of that original feeling into a different language, and to see how 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 closely you can come to the original. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a kind of an impossible task to do. But I also just really imp- appreciate translations because, I mean, obviously, I just said Colette and, and Chekhov. I, I say that they're my favorite writers, but I haven't been able to read them as they were originally written. And if I didn't have... If there weren't translators of, of them, I wouldn't have ever come across them. So I think it's something that's very valuable that people do. And I've never come across a... Um, a translation of Schiller that I thought was... Lived up, to. Yeah, lived up. So I just kind of set myself that.
2: Well, he's sort of fallen out of style, too. Yeah. I think we could probably use... I mean, I haven't looked, but I, I don't know if there are any recent translations of Schiller, are there?
3: I don't know. I don't think
2: so. Well... Maybe you
1: yeah. should. After <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. You should do that.
2: Um, you've already got publishers. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. I, guess,
3: yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I've I've translated almost all of Mary Stewart. I think I did the first four acts. It was just the last one that I didn't do, but that was years ago. I don't even know if I could find my translation at this yeah. point. But it was definitely a fun exercise. And I, I read somewhere that that was that was something that uh, was that writers were told to do is a good exercise because it gets you into the habit of writing every day Mm -hmm. and you don't have to come up with your own material. You already have this fantastic Mm -hmm. material at your disposal, but it will just get you into the exercise of writing.
0: That's a really good idea. Yeah.
3: Yeah, And actually I, I started translating before I even started writing because I thought I don't have any material that's worth reading. So I'll just try to translate something that's already, um, a a great work of art and,
0: that's I. I had a in a in a course in college. We we had a project where we were supposed to translate something, or it was an option to try and translate something. And I I was a little bit better with Spanish back then. I'm, I was still probably less than fifty percent, but I tried it anyway, and it it was a really fun, challenging, fascinating thing to do to try and make yeah. these words that say, you know, that have a meaning in another language that is not exact, there's not a direct literal translation, Mm -hmm. you know, but then to try and say it succinctly, you know, without making it seem like a uh, dictionary definition, uh, it's really hard.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it definitely led me to appreciate translators much Mm -hmm. more. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah.
3: It's kind of a fascinating... Uh, thing to do in a way because you you have the original work but then it's also filtered through another person's Mm -hmm. perspective and if you look at the classical works there's so many different translators to that I think there was just recently a new translation of um, was it the Odyssey? Yeah,
2: Emily Wilson. Yeah, and I really Uh, want to read that. that. Yeah, because (laughs) I
3: know people in the past. I've been wondering
2: if we'd be able to convince Linda to get it.
3: Yeah, maybe so. Though I imagine, do we even have the Odyssey? We have
2: the Odyssey. I can't remember. That would be
0: Linda at the Joplin Public Library. Oh yeah. Uh...
2: Yes. Yeah, our acquisitions um, librarian, our acquisitions librarian. Um, and it's not that she would be adverse to adding this translation, but she has to think about what would actually be
1: used, mm-hmm.
2: and that's that's where you get tricky. That's where it gets tricky, Chris, because it's a public library in Joplin, Missouri, and while we do have some very erudite patrons, a lot of what well, a lot of what's being checked out, it ain't hey, it, it ain't it's Homer. Not. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Did you say that was the odys- Odyssey? Did she- yeah, the Odyssey.
2: Emily Wilson uh, has a new translation of the Odyssey. I believe it's out on paperback now, so I just need to buy it. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, I could definitely reread the Odyssey. It's yeah. been years since I've read that.
2: And it's I I, I know uh, Twitter buzz from poets. I mean, it it sounds like a great translation. Everybody's very excited and very thrilled with it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, she um, really makes it's a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Or I don't I don't mean to say that, but she doesn't go into this very decorative language. Yeah, it's more see.
2: visceral sort of experience.
3: Yeah, and I don't know if that really mirrors the original very as much or if that was just her own take on it to make it very bare bones and very to the point, which I think probably would appeal more to modern readers. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, I think that's one of the draws that, um, that it has, is that she is eschewing a lot of anachronism sort of well linguistic anachronism sort of so you know she is definitely drawing it into a modern audience which is what translation is also supposed yeah, to do definitely. Um, so she's using contemporary language and she's eschewing some of the more flowery things that you'd get with a, is Lattimore and some of the other bigger Fitzgerald some of the other bigger translators that people still hold on to um, but from what I understand it's also, generally closer to the way the way Homer Homer actually wrote, uh, but it does have a more more modern sort of feel to it. Um, you know, for me, part of even like getting a new translation of something, like part of the excitement is just reading the translator's notes and reading their introduction and the way they talk about it. Um, that's always a lot of fun. Like reading Charles Martin's um, introductions to his her introduction to his translation of uh the metamorphosis uh, you know ovid the metamorphoses it's, it's just wonderful yeah. yeah and that's
3: another one that i've been wanting to
2: reread i can recently. read that one too yeah, uh, I I, I, yeah i don't think i've read it charles martin yeah i don't think I've read it. he's his. a contemporary formalist poet he does it's it's great um he uh the muses their section where they they talk he uh he wrote it in well it's basically hip-hop meter
1: oh
3: really so, yeah <laughs> is what, what is hip-hop <laughs> it's uh,
2: a <laughs> and a lot of repeating rhyme
0: basically
2: okay. so
1: yeah <laughs> cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> Trans- translating is sort of like um it's like what we we have now this sort of theme in in popular culture especially in film where people are picking up old movies, old TV shows and ter- and readapting them. And um and that's just it's fun. You know, it's fun when you have a story that you're familiar with and you see it retold with different voices, different players and just compare just comparing the differences, you know, and feeling it out. Like I I saw not too long ago the the uh Macbeth adaptation with Michael Fassbender. Mhm. The film Man, it was great. I I loved it. I, and that uh, that story is is kind of simple, you know. It's kind of, it's pretty classic. Ambitious guy, and then you know, crazy killer, whatever, and fall from grace. But uh, it was just it was just really cool to to watch it reinterpreted and done in a different way.
3: Yeah, is it set before. in contemporary times? Or? No, it's
0: not. It's it's classic. But that, that brings up one of my favorite adaptations of a story ever, which you guys were talking about, The Odyssey, and that's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: which is, you know, more contemporary, but it still feels dated to us. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still a story that, that is familiar, and mm-hmm. has it always is going to have that same element of truth that it had to begin with, but it might be more recognizable to whatever the current, you know, zeitgeist is or what have you so translations are fun yeah I'd be I'd be interested in in uh, in hearing you talk more about if you if you were to undertake a a larger translation project
3: yeah well that actually um, brings up an another issue which is my maternal grandfather was uh, was Austrian and was also a writer he was a quite a renowned scientist but uh, he studied soil structure. But he also was a writer uh, in his free time, and I have a manuscript that he wrote. And I've always been meaning oh. to translate that with the help of my mother. I think because I think that would be, you know, a very good experience for both of us would be to try to yeah. put his his work into English. So I would. That's a project that I would definitely like to do at some point. The Schiller project. Um, another thing for sure that I would like to try to finish I guess I just kind of lost steam on that and then I didn't finish the very last half yeah. <laughs> Happens. and Happens. like I said it's been years since I've even looked at that so I might look at it today and think what? <laughs> garbage
2: <laughs> well then you just make it better
3: yeah that's true you just, you revise just get back it. to work yeah <laughs>
0: So we haven't we haven't mentioned yet that uh, Jeanette and Lovers is going to be published on Plutound Press.
1: <laughs>
2: oh that's right, yeah. um yeah, that's we own that. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, well, we, don't it. We, we own the rights. We own the rights. We yeah. own the publishing rights.
0: <laughs> it's still all yours. Uh Maybe we should sign some papers on
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tonight, now that you've collided well, uh, me with this now,
2: <laughs> now that we've recorded on a podcast, yeah. we're going to spend the next couple hours while Drew hammers in, out a contract. In negotiation,
0: and- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so hopefully we'll we'll have that out sometime this summer, and uh, it'll obviously be available through Pub Press and Amazon, and um, hopefully we'll do a little some more promotion of it maybe oh. but uh yeah so anyway that's good work good stuff
2: it is it's an excellent book i've enjoyed, enjoyed working on it uh with jules also she's very easy to work with it's been nice <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: we will mention no names <laughs> <laughs>
2: People it I love it. <laughs> <laughs> drew was a bear oh, yeah. <laughs> when we worked on Let's, let's change up. this, change that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, try
0: a reverse order. All right, well, um, we are probably coming close to time for this section. I think we we wanted to let Jules read a piece. Yeah, uh, please. These, uh, um,
2: would you like to read yeah. hey, which which uh what are you gonna be reading?
3: I'm gonna be reading the second. Uh, so, story or vignette or chapter—I'm not sure what the proper word would be. From this is from "Lovers," which is the cycle that I was talking about earlier of, of the stories that are all on the same theme. And this one is the second one in that cycle, and it's called "Baby." So, 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 okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Go for it.
3: One day, my girlfriend and I went to the roller rink. I had not eaten and was giddy with hunger and happiness. Everything at the greasy concession stand looked good. I ordered chips, a pretzel, soda, a pickle. What about cotton candy? my girlfriend asked. Whatever you want, baby, I said. Immediately, I knew I'd made a mistake. She wrinkled her nose. Don't call me baby, she said. I'm sorry, I said. I didn't have to ask why it annoyed her. She takes things very literally, and the image of a pink, squalling infant is probably the last thing she wants to associate herself with. It's not that I want to tease or annoy her, but the prohibited word escapes me sometimes. There is nothing in my catalogue of endearments that quite takes its place. The, the two syllables formed by a brief pout of the lips, the rounded bay and back-of-the-mouth b. The word itself, quite apart from its literal meaning, is so satisfyingly sensual. I usually apologize for the slip-up, but she never says anything in reply, just purses her lips, and her eyes glass over, hiding her thoughts. I can't tell if she no longer cares enough to deign responding, or if she truly is annoyed and simply out of politeness, swallowing her obloquy. As you might imagine, the time I most desire to call her that word and the time it most inconveniently insists on coming to my lips is when we're making love. Her full lips and cheeks, her beautiful neck, the whole fleshy voluptuousness of her body overpowers me so I can hardly think. I am incapable of holding back such an innocent, harmless word, a word which, matching her own supple roundness, gives me the illusion of being closer to her. But I do repress it, that and a score of other things I'd like to say and do, for fear of annoying her, for fear of seeming weak, foolish, detestable. The desire to possess her drives me crazy, but if she feels a like desire, she never shows it. She lies back, silently condescends to my fevered embraces, and only occasionally, when I glance up at her, I see a certain dreamy look around her closed eyes and just barely open lips a look as if she were concentrating very hard on something happening inside her something she cannot or dare not share with anyone then perhaps feeling my gaze she opens her eyes and looks at me her lips break into a sweet happy smile utterly out of keeping with that faraway vision I had imagined glowing behind her shuttered eyes very nice thank you
0: we do we do still have that
2: parental advisory like at the front of the yeah (laughs) 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 just a taste of the sensual pleasures (laughs) you'll get when you uh purchase Jeanette and lovers uh by Jules Enzer-Cubiena
0: yeah we're definitely looking forward to that me too yeah all right. I'm i anxious to read the final product. Actually, I've I've only read drafts to this point. So, and I haven't snooped on any of your Google Docs and this stuff. Working <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Very good. Okay, well, we're gonna do another break. Um, yeah, and, I'm out of beer. Yep, we're gonna refill, and maybe I need to use the bathroom anyway. But then we'll come right back, and we will do our last call. All right. See you, Matt. PubHound Press would like to remind you of National Poetry Month events in Joplin. Full details can be found at connecttoculture.com slash poetry month 2018. All right, welcome back to the PubHound Podcast. This podcast... Uh, sorry. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> Is, uh, I was going sk- <laughs> to that one. <and> I was <laughs> like just fine it's fine well we, we do, do have a jug, jug of beer here yeah we do <laughs> have a jug of beer that's true. <laughs> it's almost it gone now that was too. a
1: sad belch
2: too that was a very very <laughs> sad belch.
0: next, next time you belch, belch into the mic, mic do better
2: I'll oh, my all <laughs> that humiliated myself <laughs> on <upon> the podcast <laughs> that's why we're here that's why
0: we're here and, and also, also to uh, promote jules insert Vienna's book and Jeanette Ann and lovers or, or something, something close to that. <laughs> <laughs> We're <in time>. We'll <laughs> tell you later. We'll tell you later. Uh, and also the the National Poetry Month in Joplin, which will involve several, several entities, including Pubhound Press, press Post Art Library, woo-hoo! Connect Culture, Downtown <laughs> Joplin Alliance, Very Southern. Spy the let's not Spiva. forget the cr-
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get myself in, in trouble oh. here, but the, the crowning, crowning jewel. <laughs> thousand words. It's always an excellent event. That's the crowning jewel. I love a thousand
0: words. <laughs> um, I, I do too. I haven't been to though,
2: no, yeah. I, I didn't I'm see a last year's because um, I I bowed out because I I had already had enough human interaction. But I know um, I assume just based off of how our reading went with the uh, open mic, we it probably gave them a run for their money. Of course we have beer, it's so true. never mind. Yeah. Ours is now the crazy <laughs> beer
0: because we have beer. <laughs> That's true. We will be doing the open mic again, I I, I think at least. Yeah. Uh, okay. More to come on the on the yeah, events. Boom. More to come. Um but for now we have other things to talk to talk to address <laughs> to address how about that. Talk about. Uh, Yay, jug, of beer. jug of beer. Uh, so Jules. I I love Easter for its candy. Uh, jelly, jelly beans and chocolate. That's like my favorite thing. Do you, do you have a preferred holiday when it comes to candy?
3: When it comes to candy? Well, I think Easter is definitely a contender. And it's also in the spring, which I enjoy in the spring. But Halloween is another. We're definitely another. talking candy, though. Yeah. Like-
1: like, forget yeah. whether, we're talking specifically candy. Okay,
3: well, well, I do have to say my favorite candy of all times is an Easter-related candy. It's the... Um, the candy eggs. No, it's the um, the Canterbury, the, yeah. those little sugar-coated
1: uh-huh. okay. chocolate yeah. eggs. The candy yeah. coated with the milk chocolate Yeah, the, chocolate yeah.
3: the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my favorite candy mm-hmm. of all times. That's good I, one. One. I think
0: the Cadbury cream egg is, is my favorite.
3: Yeah, I I think that's a little sick making myself. In the past past,
2: I would agree as far as Easter is concerned, because in the past that was the only time we could get Cadbury milk chocolate, but now we can get Cadbury milk chocolate other other places. Like because yeah, let's face it, like as far as milk chocolate is concerned, Hershey's is shit. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not Cadbury, it's shit. (laughs) For milk chocolate. Good thing we're not looking for corporate sponsors. <laughs> I don't think we were going to get Hershey's anytime. Our exact. brothers in <laughs> England might. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. They, they probably care more about poetry anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so
0: Easter's in the running, but Halloween when it comes to candy. Now, what about drinking holidays?
3: Drinking holidays. What's your well, favorite drinking holiday?
2: Monday. Monday. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Um, well, I, I think Halloween is Halloween also is a contender for that. I'm um, really? For yeah. sure. Yeah. you just like bloody outfits, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <it laughs> um, I, what is? I haven't really thought of a holiday besides like St. Patrick's Day. I guess. We, well, well, I think
1: Christmas. I think Christmas yeah, is yeah, he's he's a great drink. Yeah. This
2: yeah. And it's a perfect time too. Like you know,
0: get yourself a nice bottle of port. And so, so what do you drink on Halloween?
3: Just whatever is available. I, there's not a really a special So, what makes, it,
0: what makes it a good drinking
1: it's
3: holiday then? It's good holiday. just the time to go out and it's see, people, I see the, uh, I, and see the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, New Year's, I guess I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's mm-hmm. obviously a good time to get out and drink. Um, okay. Is there another time? Um,
0: Fourth of July.
3: Fourth of July, yeah. I mean, I guess personally, prior. That's,
2: that's, that's a dangerous a good time. time to drink, though. I mean, I know it's tradition. Yeah. yeah. But,
0: I mean, I stay away from firecrackers myself, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, handling fire and drinking, <laughs> not
1: a good idea. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what about on New Year's? You mentioned New Year's. What's your favorite drink on New Year's?
3: Probably whiskey is always my favorite Whiskey? Drink. Is yeah. <laughs> here, yeah.
2: here. Here, here. Okay. There's a reason we're publishing jewels.
0: <laughs> Got taste, <laughs> good taste. Okay, well that's that's enough for the pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> we'll,
3: leave it, we'll leave it at that. The uh, pop quiz, not like a personality you quiz. Acquitted you acquitted yourself
2: when you
0: said
3: whiskey. <laughs> Drew's like, I can't
0: hug with her anymore. <laughs> like, I, now we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> We've been friends. <laughs> uh, okay, well now it's time for the last call. So uh who wants to start out? Rich, you want to start?
2: No. How's my deer in the headlights look? You don't have to. (laughs) No, I can start. I can start. Um, Yeah, Yeah, my last call, I I really just need to do a better job of thinking of these things before (laughs) they creep up on me. I mean, I know it's coming. I'm even the one who came up with the term last call for it. But I always know it's coming. And I never, never really know what to do. Um, (laughs) Part of it is that I, I always have several things on my mind and it's hard to narrow anyone down and it's not that i'm like saying i'm some sort of great thinker because it's all things like maybe you you're saying, saying the opposite of but Yeah. well yeah well it's 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 you know i'm i'm like the hedgehog on i'm not the hedgehog i'm the fox on speed you know it's i don't have one big idea and i don't have a bunch of little ideas i have like a thousand little ideas that i can't keep track of yeah um, so that's that's me. I would would, however, um, would like to. Uh, y- you mentioned earlier that I am being published. I'd like to thank uh, Brett Clark and Acid of the for taking a shot on my work. Um, also, it's it's a website that I've enjoyed for a long time. And aside from them publishing me, uh, I think you all should give it a look anyway. Because uh, who doesn't love epigrams, short witty poems? <laughs> you read one, you've got your poetry in for
0: the day. And you go your way. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Jules, you got one?
3: Yeah, I, I think I do. Um, I've been thinking lately about Gertrude Stein. She sort of came into my Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and I'm she's Gertrude someone... <laughs> Um I guess the reason that she came into my mind was because my girlfriend has been reading a book about outlaw marriages so just different gay couples that um just are historically interesting or, or significant and one of them obviously is Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Hopeless and um so we were trying to read some Gertrude Stein together and obviously Gertrude Stein is basically unreadable Um, I think that's
1: something.
3: (laughs) Okay, we
2: are being unfair. (laughs) Tender Buttons is very enjoyable. Have
3: you read read Tender Buttons? Okay, I started to read it. It's very enjoyable. uh,
2: However, I don't think I would ever try reading it with a significant other. That would just be weird (laughs) and difficult. I mean, I I guess it depends on the significant other. But, yeah, I enjoy Tender Buttons. I do
3: okay well that's good to know because i and i would i would really like to give i really want to try to read something of hers because i think that what she was trying to do is so interesting Mm -hmm. and i guess that this is what's been in my mind is how do you write in a way kind of what going back to what we were saying earlier something that is engaging to the reader but that is also so experimental and i as i understand it she was really trying to reflect um to it's mental processes, the way that the mind absorbs information, and, and, and related to the way that the Cubist artists were working, yeah. where you just really deconstruct the environment around you. And how do you do this in a literary way that is still effective, in the way that the Cubists are very effective? You know, and because so many people are, will try to read Gertrude Stein or just completely, they don't get the point of it. And they don't. We don't have any Gertrude Stein at the library. Well, you and know, it's outside of the e. It's um, e resources. And part of it's um, difficult
2: because I think in reading her, you also have to let yourself go a little bit. Like you read something like that, and your initial reaction is, "I am going to parse this motherfucker, and I am going to make some sense of this motherfucker." <laughs> and it's kind of like reading Finnegan's Wake. You're just fucked if you're going to do that. <laughs> um, you just. You just let it go and let it wash over you. And then, you know, sometimes, and maybe this is something that just needs to be said in literature in general. It's okay to not get something. Sometimes you've got to put something down and come back to it at a later time. And it's okay if you're reading along to zone out. And if you can still make sense once you're back in it, keep going. And if not, you can go back and try to reread it or set it down and try it at a later date. You know, it's just, it is totally okay to let things wash over you at times, and I think Gertrude Stein is one of those situations. I mean, there's definitely going to be times of really tender buttons where you're just going to feel like somebody slapped you in the face of the brick. <laughs> well, so, but, so
3: oh, I'm sorry.
2: Oh, but you know, there's there's also those moments where you you will, if you kind of let yourself go and just kind of let it come over you, you're going to notice. It's like, yeah, like. I feel this i can feel it you know it's a little bit like reading john ashbury there's a lot of nonsense but if you just let it roll you can feel the motion where he's going and mm-hmm. then it starts to make maybe not sense but it starts to sort of feel like sense
3: yeah well and that was one of the things that i was wondering is that the more you read it maybe it will start to make more sense to you um and i think you probably just answered the question that i was going to ask is as someone who has read Tender Buttons, what was it that you got out of it? Because I just read maybe the first little yeah. section that she has of it, and it was complete nonsense to me. No. Oh. Uh, what well,
2: um it has been a while, but I mean I think that was it to me it was once I started enjoying it. Like it was sort of just like this sort of subconsciously sensual sort of experience. Like I remember mm-hmm. In one of the sections, she keeps going on about roast beef and all sorts of ways you <laughs> want to go on about roast beef. But, but then I felt, I was like, yeah, this is a little bit how I feel about roast beef.
3: <laughs> she just nails it on the head. <laughs>
2: well, sort of. I mean, she doesn't really nail it on the head. She just, like, makes you take a bath in roast beef. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. That was complete nonsense. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, you know, you, again, um, yeah, it's... Again, I, I'll, I'll throw that analogy out there. It's a little bit like reading reading Ashbury at times. And I mean, there's times when that sort of thing definitely fails. Um, and you. I don't think you can keep that up for an entire career, though. Lord knows some, like Ashbury, have tried. And I think it's why some of his later work is just not great.
0: But um, well, I think it's you, kind of unreadable. I but, think you said a very important thing there earlier. Like, it's okay to not get it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it definitely is. Like, I, I I've not read any uh stein nor have i read uh dubliners oh, right you said finnegan's way yeah finnegan's way yeah, yeah I'm, just joyce. I'm just thinking yeah. joyce, joyce in general, in general but, yeah um but i but i i had that feeling with uh absalom absalom yeah where it was like there there would be stretches oh my God, that novel
2: just kicked my ass but, but i you know
0: in the end i was so grateful that i read it like it it all it just sort of formed this this uh you know this thing that made sense yeah. whereas in the middle of it I, I would have said i don't know why i'm still doing this you know yeah. but by the time i got to the end it was like yeah okay cool that was fun i i, I get it and i can relate now to this character but yeah it, it there were definitely times where i didn't get it and 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 if you just power through and resign yourself to that fact then Maybe at
2: the at, end of it. I think that's you have to
0: resign yourself to
2: it and you have to it's it's sort of like when you're stupid drunk and you try to convince yourself you're not drunk, you're just gonna make things worse. You just gotta ride <laughs> that wave, buddy.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so is that what you've been doing for us? For the <laughs> last twenty years? <laughs> Wait, Wait since you were thirteen. <laughs> 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 maybe <laughs> uh,
0: alright so Gertrude's done.
3: yeah I want to try to to wade through some of that just
1: let it
2: wash over you that's that's <laughs> the only advice I can really give. I did enjoy Tender Button so okay, well, I have haven't read a much shot. else but
3: yeah
0: cool so Drewby what's your last call uh, so my last call is, I, got, I, have, I have two things that are kind of related. Um, they're, they're both historical. Uh, I've been watching a show on Netflix recently, and I've actually been re-watching it with my girlfriend so she can catch up. Uh, it's called Turn, and it's an AMC, I believe it's AMC series set during the American Revolution, and it's it follows a group of spies. And they're, I, I love historic shows because I find myself looking things up during every episode, and this is definitely one that I've been doing that, like, was that a real person? And, you know, I go to the Wikipedia article and read about them, like, yeah, that was a real person. Okay, cool. And, and I'm sure it's dramatized to, to a certain extent, some of the personal stories, but the history it seems at least so far is fairly accurate and uh, it's pretty well made and definitely enjoyable uh, so I would recommend the series turn if you have Netflix and you're at all interested in history you should look it up because it's kind of a a chapter of the American Revolution that doesn't get a lot of airtime otherwise and then related to that last weekend I was in Arkansas for my birthday, Northwest Arkansas. And because I've been interested in this, uh, you know, Revolutionary War stuff and history, there's a battlefield that is in Northwest Arkansas called Pea Ridge.
3: I've always wanted yeah. to go there.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so I remember going there when I was a real young kid and I remember that in fact, but I don't remember anything else about it. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was probably because my dad was, you know, kind of a historian and he was a social studies teacher. Uh, so anytime we were out somewhere away from home, we would go, you know, see a historical site or a battlefield or whatever was available. And I, I know we did that once a long time ago, but I don't remember anything besides that. But man, it was really, it was a great day. We were out there for several hours and it's a big park. And it was a pretty significant battle that, and I didn't realize how significant it was and how, just how big it was. There was, it was supposedly, it was the largest Confederate army ever amassed west of the Mississippi. So that's a pretty big deal. 16,000 soldiers on the Confederate side alone. Um, So anyway, if you have the opportunity and it's only about, well, from Joplin, it's probably an hour and a half. away so pretty close and they were actually fleeing well not fleeing but uh there was there was a a conflict in springfield missouri just
3: yeah that's that's the one that i've been to wilson's creek that yeah that i've gone to and that was definitely a good trip
0: yeah yeah it was it was really cool i i really enjoyed it so i highly recommend that and the series Turn, definitely check that out and get your dose of history.
3: Yeah. I believe if you go to one or the other, you can go to the other one for free within like a, oh, a week really? or two weeks. Oh, huh. Yeah, they, they didn't tell me that. Too. Yeah. I, I kind of remember that. But yeah, it's a really, it's just beautiful to walk around there. And it's it's crazy to think that all of this bloodshed happened
0: yeah, there's in a, this
3: area. It's great that they've conserved that. Definitely.
0: And there's actually one part that is kind of Kind of away from the main battlefield, where the Union Army set up, where they they it was like their preferred position if they were going to have a battle there. They wanted to be in this spot, like the high ground. So they were digging trenches there, and you can go to that place and see the actual trenches. Oh wow! So they're not obviously not in the condition that they were 150 years yeah. ago, but there are, are divots still in the ground.
3: Yeah, I know at Wilson's Creek they have a place That's where they had a mass burial i can't remember of which side it was on but and you can still see the depression in the ground where at some point there were probably hundreds of men buried and so that's another
0: there, one that i went to a long time ago but yeah
3: I, I... I, I mean it's just crazy because it's so it's so beautiful the the landscape there and just to walk around it and I, it's just such a disconnect and your yeah. mind to think that this horrible battle happened there I think, that's the, yeah, I think that's the place where the first um I What's want to it say it? the first Union general was killed was in Wilson's Creek. Oh wow. And they have the spot where they think that he died there.
0: There was three Confederate generals died at Pea Ridge.
3: Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, so P Ridge happened after it Wilson's
0: was, Creek? Yes. It was okay.
3: And it was they were retreating from
0: uh so, so I believe that I I I could be getting this way wrong, but yeah, I think that the Confederates, well, the Confederates won Wilson's Creek. Um, but then there was part of the army that was moving south after that. And then there was another part. The reason that the, the army at Pea Ridge became so large because there were two big sections, two big pieces of um, you know units, I guess, that were going to meet up there. And one of them was moving from had moved from Wilson's Creek in Springfield and another unit was coming from somewhere else. And I don't remember now, but part of the Confederate army was moving from that area as well mm-hmm. because there was one, one of the major players, commanders at P Ridge was also a, a commander at Wilson's Creek. And, um, yeah, he was kind of, he was actually German. That was another interesting part about it. There was a lot of, a lot of immigrant forces, um, mm-hmm. Especially from Missouri, because they were they were Dutch and German units that had immigrated and were settlers, and then formed these units, and they kind of put them all together so that the language wouldn't be such a thing and what have you. But anyway, it's really fascinating stuff.
3: Yeah, we'll have to pay to visit. Yeah, sure. you should.
0: All right. There's well, a lot of great
2: breweries down there too. Oh, that's, that's definitely, definitely true. true. Yeah, <laughs> so we visited a couple. Of them. <laughs>
0: Okay, guys, I think that's the end of the podcast. So thanks Thanks for for joining joining us, Jules. Um, We are definitely looking forward to your book. And. Yes. Rich? Hmm? Thank you.
1: For what? (laughs) For being you. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, I do (laughs) have
2: one parting word, you know. Okay, say it. Call the cab. Don't drive drunk.
0: Say that or say. And other days. Monday. Monday.
2: Monday. Monday. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
1: The
0: Pub Hound Podcast was produced and edited by PubHound Press with music by Dan
1: O'Connor and sounds from Creative Commons. Complete credits can be found on our website, pubhoundpress.com.